Rachel Held Evans, the award-winning Christian author, blogger, and speaker, recently wrote a book entitled A Year of Biblical Womanhood. In the book, she describes the year that she spent trying to live out the Bible as literally as possible, according to all the instructions pertaining to women, or what she perceived to be instructions given to women. She would do things for a month or a week at a time. For instance, she might take a week where she spent calling her husband master. She made, she made a sign that said you know, her husband was awesome, and she stood by the city gates, based on her understanding of Proverbs 31. Uh, she spent a week camped out, side camping, uh, wouldn't let her husband touch her during the week of her period. She let her hair grow. She wore um, head coverings, things like that. Now, um, you won't find her book in Lifeway because they refuse to carry it. But if you go to her blog, you find out that she claims to be a evangelical. She claims that she loves the scriptures. She claims that she is a strong feminist and that she holds tightly to the egalitarian view. Now, if you were here with us with our first book, we talked about the egalitarian view, and that was the view that said that men and women are equal and the same in function and role. You very quickly learn and discover that the book that she wrote was intended to refute complementarianism. Now, that's the view that says that men and women are equal but different in their role and function. She calls that, by the way, hierarchy or patriarchy. Now, um, her book has been widely popular. Whereas she was blogging through her experiment, her, um, her website was getting up to four to 5,000 hits a day. Now, why am I bringing her up this morning? Because at the very heat of all the controversy and all the debate is the passage that we are going to be studying this morning. We are going to be studying many controversial passages in, uh, this morning, topics this morning. And not only are they controversial in the world, but now we're seeing that they're creating a lot of debate and a lot of anger from within the so-called professing church. So we're going to take a look at that today. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5? This passage is, is likely familiar to you. We've seen it before. Ephesians 5 verse 21. We'll start there. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Okay, we're going to stop there for a minute. This is our first controversial topic, and it's been a hot topic for a while. But particularly, and it's stirring up a lot of uh, a real tizzy on the blogosphere, uh, this particular topic. Now, and most of that comes from the order of this passage. If you take a look at verse 22, where it says that wives submit to their husbands, that comes immediately after the passage about everyone submitting to each other. So 
What exactly is being required here of wives? Given the fact that we've already been told that we're to be, we're to be submitting to one another, have we outgrown the hierarchy of verse 22? That's one of the things we want to look at. But to do that, we need to go back to verse 18. Chapter 5, verse 18. It says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, as we start out, we need to understand something. That when we start talking about submission, it is a continuation of this passage. It is a continuation of the command to be filled with the Spirit. And we talked about last time, that means to be controlled by the Spirit. We're obeying the Spirit. But I want to show you something else. Look back at chapter 3. Chapter 3, we talked about this chapter when we looked at the way Paul prayed. When Paul prayed, he prayed for some things. Chapter 3, verse 17. He prays, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Now remember, we talked about this. We said he is talking to believers. He's talking to people that Christ already dwells in their hearts. So what did he mean here? Well, we, we determined that he is talking about Christ being at home in your heart. So that he comes into your heart and he pulls down the old curtains and he, and he pulls back the old, the old carpets and he tosses out the old magazines. He gets your heart prepared so that he is at home there. Okay, that's what Paul was praying. All right, now look down at verse 19. This is something else he prays. And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. He was praying that the Ephesians would be filled to the brim with God so that there would not be room for anything else in their lives but God. All right, now go back to chapter 5, 18. Paul says he's commanding the, the Ephesians, be filled with the Spirit. Now, have you seen? We've seen the Trinity. We said the fullness of God, dwell, the Christ would dwell in your hearts. Now we're being told to be filled with the Spirit. These are all basically, we're talking about the same thing. We're talking about the believer being controlled and filled with God. And it's going to become incredibly important that we understand that because everything else that we're talking about here is going to hinge on whether or not we are filled with the Spirit of God. Okay? Now, having said all that, Last time we talked about this, we asked the question, well, what would it look like if somebody was filled with the Spirit of God? And then we read verse 19. Let's take a look at that now. If the people of God are filled with the Spirit, what will that look like? Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, when God's people are filled with the Spirit of God, they're going to be very God-centered. There's going to be singing. There's going to be praising. There's going to be joy. There's going to be thanksgiving for everything. And then, aha, look at verse 21. There's going to be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. When the people of God are filled with the Spirit of God, there's going to be submission. There's going to be mutual submission to one another. All right? All believers are commanded to be filled with the Spirit, and all believers are commanded to submit to one another. We're going to make that number one on our list. 
All believers are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, I want to give you a definition for submitting because it's going to come back up again. It is the Greek word hupotasso, and it means to place under or arrange under. We've talked about this before. It was a military term used to describe the way soldiers would line up under the authority of their leaders. In a non-military sense, it's described this way, as a voluntary attitude of giving, oh, excuse me, of a voluntary attitude of giving in or cooperating. And Paul says, submit yourself out of your reverence for Christ. Okay, now that tells us something. Out of your reverence for Christ, he's talking to believers. People that love Christ are going to submit themselves to one another. A person that does not love Christ does not care about this. Okay, now I want you to keep your finger in Ephesians and turn with me to the book of John. There's something, we're going to get a good picture of something in the book of John. John chapter 13. John 13, verse 3. John 13, 3 says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a tile, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Okay, now skip down to verse 13. This is Jesus speaking. He says, You call me teacher and Lord, and right you are, for so I am. If I then wash, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Okay, we need to understand something. In, in the day of Jesus, washing the feet was the job of a slave. Okay, and not just any slave, but low man on the totem pole slave. Okay, people walked around barefoot and with sandals on dirt roads, and their main way of transportation was animal. So, so it was the low man's job to wash the people's feet. And Jesus takes off his outer garment and he begins to take on that servant role of washing the disciples' feet. And then he goes on to say, not only does he do it, but then he goes on to say, you are to be foot washers. All right, now turn back to Ephesians chapter 5. Because as we want to try to understand Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, that tells us to submit to one another, here's what we want to think of. We want to think, okay, John, foot washing, okay? Because if we are filled with the Spirit, we are not going to come to one another and treat each other like, hey, I'm more important than you. You need to do this for me. We're going to come to one another and say, how can I serve you? I will wash your feet, okay? So our next point, submitting to one another is dying to self esteeming others as more important and being other-centered. Now, let me ask you, who in their right mind would want to live like that apart from the work of God in a person's life? 
You can see how all of everything that we are going to be learning about, it is going to be hinging on the fact that the Spirit of God is filling and controlling the believer's life. Okay, now having said that, now let's move on to the verse that causes so much trouble. Let's look at verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now the question that comes up is why is this necessary? If you have just told us that we're to be submitting, if we're to be having this foot washing, servant's attitude one to another, then why is this necessary? Is, do we even need this verse? All right, now look down, look over, excuse me, to chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 5. <clears throat> this was also part of your reading. 6.5 says, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Okay, we don't have slavery anymore. It's been outlawed. The culture has changed. Well, the culture has changed on women as well. So do we need the passage that says, Wives, submit to your husbands? Let's continue reading. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. All right, understand something. Slaves and the relationship that they had with their masters was never compared to Christ and the church. The marriage relationship is unique in Scripture. Let's put that down. Number one, next section. The relationship between the husband and wife is unique in that it is compared to Christ and the church. Are, are we 50-50? Are we equal? Well, yes, we saw that in verse 21, did we not? We're to be submitting to one another. But then notice something. Paul then goes on and he instructs the men that they are to be the head of the relationship. And then he compares it as the church is, as Christ is to the church. Now, a very common held view, <clears throat> one that Rachel Held Evans promotes. She promotes that only mutual submission is necessary and that verse 22 is no longer applicable. The culture has outgrown its need for it. And this is a very popular view. Now, here's what she says on her, here's how she explains it on her website. We make decisions together. No one holds a trump card. We don't have a single leader. Now, I would love to be a fly on her wall <laughs> because she's basically telling me that she and her husband agree on everything. She's telling me that they are mutually submitting to one another and they always come to a place of agreement. That would be miraculous, to say the least. But, she, but understand something. She has to say this because she rejects the complementarian view. 
And the complementarian view is crucial. It is crucial to understanding the importance of verse 22. And here's why. Because the complementarian view teaches us that the woman was created for the man and that we were created to be their complement, that male and female are distinctly different. And that premise alone assures us that a married couple is never going to agree on every issue. We are two different animals. When you have a decision to make, your husband is coming at it from a very manly perspective and you are coming at it from a very female perspective. And that is exactly how you have been created to do it. And Paul understands that. Paul understands. And so he says to the woman, wives, you are to submit to your husbands. You are to voluntarily line up under his authority. You are to cooperate with his headship in the home. You're going to have times where there is a tie and you're going to need a tiebreaker. And so you are going to respond to his headship. You will allow him to be the leader just as the church submits to Jesus Christ. As the church submits to Jesus Christ, you know what that is? That's with joy. That's with enthusiasm. Paul says, Wives are to submit to their husbands. And can I just say something? That's the way we want it. We want our men to be men. We want our men to be leaders. If we ignore verse 22 and we take that verse out, we are removing the distinctiveness between the two genders. And ladies, we do not want our men coming to the table as girls that nobody holds a trump card and there's no single leader in the home. We want our men to be leaders. We want to allow them to be leaders. And one of the primary ways we do that is by submitting to them. So number two on our sheet, <clears throat> submission to our husbands helps display the distinctive God-given differences between husbands and wives. Now, does submission, <clears throat> does our submission suggest that we are inferior? Because the egalitarian view says that authority <clears throat> and equality cannot coexist. Well, a while back ago, I had a Jehovah Witness come to my door. And um, it was a, a woman, and she was um, very attractive, <clears throat> very modestly dressed. And, and she came to my door and explained to me what she was doing in my neighborhood. And she asked me, um, do you ever think on spiritual matters? And um, I, I said, yes, yes, actually, I do. And, um, you know, and, you know, I thought, oh, I'm just going to really spar with her and... Um, and I explained to her that I was a believer in Jesus Christ. And I just very, very quickly, we began to dialogue, and I just very quickly began to feel overwhelmed because she knew her Bible, and she was spouting off verses, and she was saying, what about this? And how do you explain that? And she was, had things memorized, and she was flipping through her Bible and pointing things up to me, and I just stood there. I was, 
I, 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 couldn't even, I couldn't even talk. And I literally had the thought, see, I'd gone into it very proud. I literally had the thought, she is whipping up on me. <laughs> and, and it wasn't, I don't mean that like the enemy was accusing. It wasn't like that. It was just the realization of how desperate I was that, that God helped me. So I was, the whole time she's talking, I'm just kind of glazed over, just praying, Lord, help me, help me, help me know what to say. I, I don't even, can't even get, don't even know how to, couldn't get words to come out. And she began to talk about the Trinity. Now, the Jehovah Witness do not believe that the Trinity is equal. And so she began to show and prove to me, see, that Jesus is inferior to God because he submits to the Father. He submits to the Father. And she kept, and she's shown to me this in Scripture. And I said, no, no, that, that's not a picture of inferiority. That's a beautiful picture of their equality. And I said, do you submit to your husband? I thought she would. And she said, yes, I do. I submit to my husband. I said, I, I, do, I do too. Now, does that mean that you are inferior to your husband? And she said, the husband is the head of the home. I'm to submit to my husband. And I thought, she didn't really answer that question, did she? <laughs> I said, wait a minute. Are you telling me that you think you're inferior to your husband? And she said, my husband is the head of the home. She said, somebody has to be second. And I said, I, I work with young mothers. Am I supposed to go to them and tell them that they are to submit to their husbands because they are second-class citizens? And she said, somebody needs to be second. And I said, no. I said, my husband and I, we're equals, and I voluntarily line up under, behind him. I said, just as Jesus is equal with the Father, and he willingly, he voluntarily emptied himself so that he would align and submit himself to the Father. I can look at the way that Jesus submits to the Father, and it helps me to understand how I am to submit to my husband. And she, and she looked at me and said, it's been nice talking with you. Have a nice day. And she walked away. And it, it happened so fast, I, I just kind of stood there like, what just happened? But as she, as she walked away, I thought, boy, this is an attractive, articulate. She was an impressive representative for the Jehovah Witness. And, and it occurred to me that she has probably spent most of her life, married life, feeling like she had to submit to her husband because she was inferior. Now, let me ask you something. Have we seen anything in the book of Ephesians that would suggest to you that women are inferior to men? Have you? No, no. First three chapters, there's not even a distinction made between men and women. We have been treated as equals throughout this entire book. Chapter 2, he talks about Jesus breaking down the barrier wall. So that there is no distinction now, no matter what your color, no matter what your race. We have been declared equals. We are fellow citizens in the kingdom of God. So when we submit to our husbands, it is not because we are inferior. Okay, that brings us to our next point. Number three, submission to our husbands reminds us that authority and equality can coexist. We see it in the Trinity. Now, we are going to very quickly, there's a box in your paper, 
go through some things about submission. <clears throat> We've talked about this before. It's not going to be long. Um, but we'll just kind of quickly go on the things that we particularly see from this passage on submission. Okay, number one, submit to your own husband. All right, yes, we have been told that we're to have a self-denial, foot-washing attitude toward everyone in the body of Christ, but the relationship, there's a unique relationship between you and your own husband. You're not being called to submit in this way with somebody else's husband, okay? Number two, the instruction is to wives, not husbands. Now, in Paul's day, women were already sub subjecting and submitting themselves to their husbands because their husbands were forcing them to. Okay, they were, were required to do it. They were demanded of it. The culture worked that way. <clears throat> but Paul does not address the men. Right? This is, this is instruction to the women. The women are being asked to cooperate and to submit themselves. Mary Cassian puts it this way, a husband does not have the right to demand or extract submission from the wife. Okay, number three, we're to submit as unto the Lord. Wow, okay, this is gonna explain our attitude, our motivation for, for submitting to one another. We're to submit to the husband. It is a way of expressing obedience to God. All right? And if a woman is filled with the Spirit, she is going to be submitting herself to her husband. Pure and simple. Now, to what extent are we to submit? Verse 24. In everything. Number four on your list. Wives are to submit in everything, just as we submit to God in everything. Now, a little note there. A wife is not called to submit to sin, mistreatment, or abuse. <clears throat> and by the way, one thing that we've noticed throughout the book of Ephesians, this is a book about the body, about the body caring for one another. So if somebody in the body is experiencing something like this, the book of Ephesians tells us that the rest of the body should be concerned about it. If you are experiencing anything like this, tell somebody, talk to somebody, get help. All right. Next, if we are to submit to our husbands and everything, does that mean we are to be silent, passive, doormats? We don't have any input into any decisions or what's going on in the home. Okay, have we seen anything in Ephesians that would suggest that is the attitude? No, no, no. Number five, submitting to our husbands does not reduce us to silent, mindless, passive women. There is an argument out there that says that submitting to your husband encourages women to be mindless, doormats, not use your gifts. You don't get to use your gifts and talents if you're submitting to your husband. And that is certainly not what the book of Ephesians is teaching. Okay, submission means that you are supporting your husband in his headship position in the marriage. Okay, and listen, that does not require you to become brainless and weak. All right, let's move on to what the husbands are told. Chapter 5, verse 25. <clears throat> husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, 
having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. All right, again, understand, this would have been radical, radical instruction for the men in Paul's day. Okay, um, they, were, they didn't value women the way Paul is suggesting here or commanding here. All right, number four, <clears throat> the headship of the husband expresses care rather than control saviorhood rather than lordship. The men in Paul's day, they were used to ruling over their wives and lording over their wives. And Paul tells them no more. You're not going to lord over them. You're going to be saviors in the home. You're going to be nourishing them. You're going to be protecting them. You're going to be caring for them. You're going to be loving on them. Now, clearly... No husband, no matter how good he is, is going to be able to do this apart from the Spirit of God. You see, this is, this is a monumental calling, and it is completely unattainable apart from the Spirit of God. Now, that means we need to pray for our husbands. We need to pray for the men in our church. And I, want, and I suspect something. I suspect that if the men in our church don't look like this, it is probably a reflection of our prayer lives. Because remember what Paul prayed for. Paul prayed earlier in chapter 2 that, we, that the Ephesians would be filled to the fullness of God and that Christ would dwell richly in their hearts. We know, we, matter of fact, in week 2 we talked about that. We said true spiritual growth demands prayer. So if we want to see this in the men in this church, we need to be praying about it. This is going to be a work of God. All right, let's continue. Verse 31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Okay, this is another controversial passage, perhaps uh, the most controversial today. Paul is telling us there's a mystery A mystery was something that we didn't know before. And he's telling us there's a mystery concerning marriage. You see, you thought that the marriage bed was just about two becoming one. You thought it just had to do with procreation. You thought it just had to do with pleasure. But Paul tells us no. In fact, it's it's a mystery. It's it's a picture. It's It's a portrait. It's a parable. It's a, it's, it's a metaphor of what Christ and the church is to be. Paul, or, um, John Piper puts it this way. John Piper says, it's a living drama. We're talking about the marriage bed. is a living drama of how the church and Christ are to relate to each other. <clears throat> Another pastor put it this way. He said, sex is physical, relational, emotional, and spiritual And Paul is saying that the sexual relationship is a reflection of the relationship that can be experienced between God and man. You want to know what it's like to be in relationship with the living God? You want to know what it's like for the church to be in relationship with Jesus Christ? It's the marriage bed. The commitment, 
the intimacy, the oneness, the closeness, the passion, the desire, the joy, the excitement, the love. As, as the Bible is trying to explain what a relationship between God and a believer is like, Paul says, I'm going to have to paint you a picture. And he gives us, and he gives us this. He gives us a mystery. So number five on our paper, marriage is a living drama of how the church and Christ relate to one another. You want to know why the enemy is so eager to pervert and distort and over-sexualize everything? You want to know why the enemy is so eager to portray sex as casual and cheap and common? You want to know why gay marriage is such a critical issue? It's right here. It's this passage. Because marriage is not a cultural issue. Paul just made it a cosmic issue. Marriage became more than a cultural issue the minute Paul compared it to Christ and the church. Right now, you have a lot of people out there that are saying that either the Bible is silent on gay marriage or the Bible is unclear on a gay marriage or that it's irrelevant because it's a cultural issue. Understand something. When you hear something like that, you are dealing with someone who does not understand this passage. They do not understand the significance of this passage. All right, look at verse 31. says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. All right, this is from Genesis. He's quoting Genesis. And those are very gender-specific words. Okay, we're talking male, we're talking female, and they're both working together to equally display the glory of God. And from the very first union in the garden, God has had it in mind that this would be a story to explain Christ and the church. So when we talk about marriage, it is not some human relationship. It is the means by which God is using to display a truth about himself. Now, let's move on to yet another controversial topic. Verse 33. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, The wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Okay, Paul starts, he reiterates that the husband is to love the wife. And then we read another command directed to the woman that she is to respect her husband. Now, this too is controversial because you've got women out there going, hey, why is it men? Why Why are the women being told to respect the husbands? Why are you always giving us lists about ways that we're to respect our husbands. Shouldn't there be mutual respect in a marriage? What's the deal with that? Why shouldn't we both be respecting each other? Should there be mutual respect in a marriage? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) Listen, men are not getting a pass on respecting their wives. Okay? That's not what's going on here. So what is going on here? 
Well, remember, Paul understands that men and women are different. And because of that, we have different needs. Now, he has just got done telling us and addressing our needs. He's just told the husbands, you're to cherish her, you're to nourish her, you're to protect her. Hey, let's be honest, those are things that we want and desire. And now he's going to turn and he's going to address the situation with men. And he's going to say, they need respect. Respect them. Surveys tell us that three out of four men would rather feel unloved than disrespected and inadequate. Men crave to be respected and admired. One man put it this way. He said, yes, need. We need respect. And that need is so deeply ingrained that a marriage cannot possibly survive if the man is deprived of it. We've talked about this before. And um, given its importance, we're going to revisit a few things. A couple things that I I noticed as I was uh, preparing for this, and we're going to speed through them. But number one, we're talking about respecting our husbands. Number one, praise him verbally. Now, the differences between loving and respecting, that is very slight. But a man needs to hear you say, I am proud of you. I really like the way you handled that. Boy, I, I really admire the way you deal with such and such. Shanti Feldhahn has written exclusively on this, and she points out several things. She says that men often feel insecure and that they bear a burden, an emotional burden, for the supporting and the providing of their families, even if their wives work. And she says the anecdote for that is admiration and affirmation. Number two, and this is kind of a mouthful, watch out for intentional or unintentional attitudes, words, or actions that are disapproving or disrespectful. Nagging, nitpicking, criticizing, especially in front of people, okay? That's bad. Don't do that. One husband told the story of a couple that he was watching, and he said the wife disagreed with everything that the husband said, and she kept doing this, like, exaggerated eye-rolling, you know, pulling that. She contradicted everything he said. She brought up funny stories that made him look incompetent and foolish. Here's how he described it. She was gutting him right in front of us, emasculating him neutering him, damaging him. It was excruciating. And then he goes on to talk about how common it is becoming. Ladies, that may be the way the world treats their husbands, but it is not the way the church is to do it. And you may be thinking, well, uh, my husband doesn't do anything worthy of respect. Well, understand something. Paul doesn't put any qualifiers on this. He doesn't say, respect your husband when he makes a good decision or respect your husband when he gets it right occasionally. Okay? <laughs> he says, you treat your husband with respect and admiration. Okay, number three. Another way that we respect our husbands. To submit to his leadership. 
One pastor said, there was nothing more demoralizing to a man than to have the demand to lead and no commitment to follow. One of the best ways that we show respect to our husbands is to let them be a leader and submit to their headship. Number four, take an interest in him. One pastor explained it like this. This might mean asking him questions about sports or hobbies or movies or power tools. Or maybe it doesn't mean talking, but sitting on the couch to watch the game with him or invading his man cave with your presence, but not your agenda. Ouch, huh? This, this really um, convicted me this past week. <clears throat> My husband takes, he spends a lot of time um, in the lawn, with our lawn and fixing the yard and so forth. And, and um, you know, sometimes I just get, it's grass. You know, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get very excited about it. And I've been so convicted. You know, God's just been saying, tell that man his yard looks nice. You know, thank him, thank him once in a while for cutting the grass. It's just... You know, I'm, I was slow, but I'm hoping to change that. Okay, when we take an interest in our husbands, they interpret that as admiration and respect. Okay, and the last one, and I, I am told it should really be the first one, but it is have a lot of sex. Somebody said sex? Have a lot of sex with him. And... And I took this word for word off of a list of a, um, this pastor had made a list for women to read. I, that's not my own. I took that right off their list, word for word. Now, and Shanti Feldhahn, she, her findings also support this. And I want to give you this, I want to close with this quote. She says, second only to your husband's need for respect is his need for you to desire him sexually. In a profound way, feeling wanted sexually gives a man confidence and a sense of well-being in every other area of his life. Nearly all men surveyed, 97%, said that even if their wives agreed to have sex every time husbands wanted, sex would still be empty if their wives didn't seem to desire them. Okay, now we've talked about this before. We've talked about being yes women. But don't you feel this just kicked it up a notch, didn't it? (laughs) So here's what we're going to do. When the subject of respecting our husbands is brought up, we're going to remember that little verse says, see to it that the wife respects her husband. Let's say whenever the pastor talks about this, when he teaches on Ephesians, all of the Monday morning abide women will just smile. (laughs) We know. We know what this is about, so. Okay. As you can see, we are not going to get anywhere near chapter six, but you will have a chance to go over some of that in your small group, so. Okay, we do not meet again till the end of April. Where's Tammy? Is that correct? We have a couple weeks off for Easter. Enjoy it. Now listen, come back. You got to finish out the book of Ephesians, so don't don't let the break uh, keep you from coming back. We want to see how this book ends. Let me pray for you all. Father, God, your word is true, and it is powerful And how grateful we are for that. 
I pray that you just let these words sink in deep and take root and just use them to guide our decisions and guide our thoughts and guide the way we treat our husbands, Father. We pray that we can be women that are filled with the Spirit of God and glorify your name in all that we do. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.